You're listening to Life's Closing Notes. Today, our host talks with Roseanne Simeon via Zoom. Roseanne is an Inelda-certified end-of-life doula, certified emotional freedom technique practitioner, registered medical assistant, certified grief educator, and grief movement therapy coach. Let's join in on their conversation. Thank you for being here with us. I'd love to hear about how you first got into, the more I'm talking with people, I'm discovering it's a calling, not a line of work, that's a calling, it seems like. How did you get this calling or how did you get into this? It's a calling and I got involved in it. My my husband was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer back in 2008. And I think I started probably doing a little bit of doula work back then because we were going to doctors And all the doctors were like, well, there's nothing we can do for you because it was pretty progressed. And there was one doctor, we called him the voodoo doctor, because he had like a five drug concoction of chemo that could decrease the size of the tumors and get him to have the Whipple procedure. I remember going to Sloan Kettering and they gave him, I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do for you conversation. And I remember being in the hallway saying, well, how do you want to live out the rest of your life? Do you want to try and have the surgery and go for the chemo? Or do you want to have the quality of life before you die? And he chose to, he didn't, he wasn't ready to go. He chose to do the five layers of chemo and he was able to do the Whipple procedure. But of course there were margins left and he would have to have radiation and additional chemo pumps. And I think that worked for about five months and then he declined from there. And the doctor was always positive. He's like, keep going with chemo, keep going with the chemo, keep going with chemo. And I'm like, okay, if that's what you think that we should do and not knowing any better, you listen back then it was like, okay, the doctors were my guide and I listened to them and be positive. When I, my kids were, Oh, he's going to do better. I, that's what the doctors say. We're going to keep positive. And every day I went into the hospital and was positive until a hospice nurse came in and she's like, he doesn't have much longer. And I'm like, what, what, why are you telling me that? And the doctor's saying, keep going with the chemo. And he had that one honeymoon stage where he was doing great. My son came with me. And he was like, he could do a handstand. And I was like, okay, maybe there is a turnaround. Maybe the hospice nurse was wrong. And then I got a call at three in the morning that they had to intubate him because his heart was racing out of his chest. And I was shocked and I flew into New York City and I, I didn't get to say goodbye. And I remember sitting there with him and whispering in his ear that I love you. And he turned his face to me. And my lips touched his face and I know he heard me because I truly believe hearing is the last thing to go. And that was it. You know, I had all family come in and my kids were upset with me because they thought he was going to live. And we were all surrounding him in the, the room and they said, okay, we're going to take the tube out. He can have his last breath and you can be there for him. And they took it out and he gasped and all everybody around us, there was like, he was a police officer and an inspector in the police department and everybody was there around him and they took the tube out. And that is the last memory we were all left with. And we were all screaming goodbye. 
And I was like, oh my God, that was horrible, traumatic for me and my kids. And that's a memory that stayed with me. And I still remember it to this day. And in 2014, Henry Fesco Weiss was doing the Inelda end of life doula work workshop. And everything he talked about was what was lacking in those final days. I would have loved somebody to tell me what kind of quality of life does he want? What I don't want to have on his deathbed. Where do you, do you want to be cremated? Do you want to be buried? What, what do we want? What do we want to do? That's the conversation we had like two days before he died. He didn't have the quality of life that he should have had. If the doctors would have told me the truth, we would not have had all that chemo afterwards. He could have said goodbye properly. If I had an end of life doula there, the doula would have said, let them take the tube out and then come back in the room because that could be a lasting memory that you don't want to have. And talk to him and, and, and he'll hear you and bring in his favorite music and talk to him about your favorite stories and how much you mean to him, not kids screaming, goodbye, daddy, goodbye, daddy. We miss you. We love you. And I get choked up because it hurt. I made it a point to do this work because I didn't want other kids and family to suffer like my kids did that day. I've got many wonderful stories when you're ready to hear them about how an end-of-life doula made such a difference. And they didn't know what my purpose was in that room, in that hospice, next to that hospice bed. But they did. And they were grateful afterwards that I was there. I think the majority of people aren't prepared. Because you're not... You're not in the frame of mind, whether it be birth or death, because they do have a lot of similarities and you're not prepared at that point when that's happening, when you're going through the birth that you're going through the death, your prefrontal cortex goes way offline and you are in the moment of grief that you're losing this person or you're gaining this, this birth. And it's like, okay, what do I do? And it's wonderful to have, whether you have a birth doula or a death doula, somebody there to say, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. This is what's going on. It's okay. The last one is a quick one, but these were my teachers about death and how it happens and how beautiful it is on the other side and not to fear death. One of my first cases I was hired for, this gentleman had had a stroke and could not speak. His daughter was grateful that he had told her what he wanted. It was almost like he had a premonition. I better tell her how I want my funeral and everything else afterwards. And she wanted to take him home and I was against it, but I supported her because I knew how hard it would be to manage him. And she had a mom who had on stages of dementia and she brought him home the first night and she called me the next morning that he had fallen and hit his head. And I said, look, you need to bring him to the hospital. I will go to the hospital now. You take care of your family. I will go to the hospital and I'll meet him there. Now, this man could not speak. And I tell you, when I got there, um, he got up in his bed and said to me in perfect voice, I can't do this anymore. Please be there for my family and tell them that I love them. And he laid back down. And he went into hospice 
And he died about, it took him 10 days to finally let go. And we were sitting there, sitting there, sitting there, waiting for him to go. His wife kept saying, I don't know why he's hanging on. I'm, I'm going to be okay. You go and you wait there for me. And I said, he's going to go when we leave. And we left at nine o'clock that night. I knew he was going to pass and he had all the signs. And as soon as I walked in the door and within 15 minutes, they had called the, the daughter and she had called me and said that he had passed. And I said, well, he did not want you to be there to see that. And she understood and she was grateful. I was there for her and was there to guide her through this whole process because the hospice nurses are busy. They'll come in there and say some things and check on him and say, well, we don't know, but it looks like, but I was there to have them bring the music, have them talk to him, show them the signs and what's okay. I had the wife laid down with him and she was grateful. She was able to do that. My next case right after that, like two days later, was a young woman in her forties. Um, all of a sudden she had breast cancer and all of a sudden she couldn't breathe and they had to put her in hospice because she was end of life within the next one or two days. And she had three young teenager, teenage children. And the moms were there, the sisters, the brother-in-laws, and they all looked at me like, what is this woman doing? This is a private moment. What is she doing there? And I could feel that kind of energy and I was okay with that because I had experienced that before. Nobody knew what an end of life death doula was. I showed them by engaging them. There was a 12 year old daughter who I brought a journal for. And I said, please do me a favor and write your favorite story about your mom and your favorite memory, and then pass it on to everybody in the room that they can write their favorite memory. And I had a tissue box in my hands and I walked up to the mom and dad who were distraught that their daughter was dying. And I said, tell me about your daughter. I want to know about her. Tell me about her life. Tell me about what she did. I want to hear. And they were grateful and they were smiling, talking about how wonderful of a daughter that she was. And the, the husband was going home and he was going to take the kids to dinner. And I said, listen, I want you to bring your mom's favorite perfume, her favorite lotion, her favorite music, bring her favorite flowers, everything she loved, her favorite food that it's there with her if she wakes up. And they came back and they brought all that. And I came back the next day and she had woken up enough to say, she didn't say hello, but she was awoke up enough to smile at her kids and, and then she went back because she was on heavy morphine. And I had the kids lay down with her. And during the last stages of her life, I had everybody in the room read her their favorite story from that journal. And in the front of it, she could put a picture, the, the kids could put a picture in there. And when I went to the funeral, the mom and dad who were apprehensive of why I was there, they were grateful and gave me such a big hug. And they're like, we are happy you were there. You made that memory much better than it than it was when we walked in the room. And the last story I have is a woman who I volunteered at Parker Jewish, who was probably the first hospital in Queens to bring on the end-of-life doulas in their palliative care and hospice program. And there was a beautiful woman there. I started with palliative care and I saw she was going into transition 
I called Alice and I said, she needs to go to hospice. And she went over to hospice. And for three days, I went in there and sat with her and read her her favorite stories, played her favorite music. And I got a call from Alice and she says, you're not going to believe this. But she woke up and she's asking to eat. She's engaging with the daughter. She's like, it's like a miracle. And the woman, I went in to see her and she said, if you saw what I saw on the other side, you would never, ever be afraid of death. And within, I think, three or four days, she went back into actively dying and she died thereafter. But those are the three stories that stand out in my mind as learning about people and life and death. And there's a higher power out there that is in charge, not us. Well, thank you for sharing those. Those are all three powerful stories. Before we started the interview, we were talking a little bit about grief and how how you support people with that. Could we talk a little bit more about that? Right now, I, I do a lot of grief work. My, I, my motto is, got grief, talk to me. And so many people are walking around grieving and not realizing it, whether it be anticipatory grief. I volunteer with Immerman Angels and support usually the spouses or partners of those dying of pancreatic cancer, which is difficult, but I'm there to listen to what's going on and giving them the support that they need in that anticipatory grief and what to expect and about choices. Some some families want their loved ones to do everything and anything to live, but I try and make them understand that it's their process. It's their life and they get to choose how they want to live and how they want to die. It's not theirs. We don't want to see our loved ones die. We'll do everything we can to keep them alive, but it's not always a good thing for that person that's dying and it's not always their wish. And I have a lot of clients that come to me with current grief, whether it be a mom died, a dad died, a sister died, a husband died, a child. I work a lot with fentanyl poisoning. I deal with a lot of that grief, but grief is multi-layered. And if we don't deal with our grief from the get-go, when it starts with the first, I lost my job, I had a divorce, I had a relationship breakup. Those are all grieving things that people don't think they have to take time to grieve, but they do. And as we, we progress into a mom dying, a dad dying, then it's much worse because all of that grief comes back. I try and educate people on grief and why they're grieving that way. And you have to work through the grief to get to the other side where it is a little bit more loving and peaceful. And you can look at that person that died in a more loving way and honor their memory without all the pain. And I'm not saying the pain that goes away, because it doesn't. Griefers forever. It does change to, wow, I love them much and I want to remember them in a beautiful way. But those anniversaries do come up where our body responds and we go, oh, why am I feeling this way? And it's usually either an anniversary of the death or you're grieving because your daughter had a baby and your husband's not there to celebrate with you. You know, grief is multi-layered. 
you miss out on, you grieve the, the life that you expected to have with that person. My son died of fentanyl poisoning and it's, I, I, it was three years ago, but I still grieve that he's not here. My daughter's pregnant. She's having a baby. He's not going to be here to be an uncle to enjoy that. There's so many layers to grief and you have to sit with it and feel that people don't honor how they feel. If I'm feeling sad, they don't honor it. They go in to do something else. They decide, okay, I'm not going to deal with this. I'm going to be a workaholic or I'm going to go shopping or I'm going to go out to the bar and have a nice dinner. They they'd rather push it under the rug. I don't have time for this. I don't want to feel this pain. But if you work through that and you feel the pain, you'll get to the other side. You have to walk through the pain to get through the pain. I'm a big proponent of that. I volunteer with David Kessler on his podcast and his specific groups and help with the, the moms and dads and partners who have lost somebody to fentanyl poisoning. I've had a lot of loss in my life. But each one of them has pushed me to make meaning of what I'm supposed to do here on earth. And it's led to end of life and grief. And I say, okay, I I get it. I know where I'm supposed to be and I know what I'm supposed to do. And when you make meaning of everything, it kind of makes life a lot easier when you're doing what you're here to do in this world. That's good to hear. Good advice. Thank you. In this show, I want to provide resources, not only through conversation, but also maybe things to look up or websites or anything that can be helpful. Do you have any advice, anybody out there offering helpful tools? I think that the best book to read is Being Mortal. I work for a life care management company for the elderly and disabled, and we usually tell our workers to read that book because we deal with a lot of death and end of life and it opens your eyes to a different look on it. Uh, There's many resources out there. If you need support, there's many resources through Enelda. My website has a lot. I have a farm. I have Guiding Your Path, which has a lot of information on it. And they can always email me at guidingyourpath at gmail.com if they need something specific. David Kessler and his specific groups, if there's a group that you need to get into and you can't find it in your community, do it online. It's called Tender Hearts. He's fabulous. I do the fentanyl poisoning on Mondays. It's always on Mondays. And then he has Evolving Hearts and he has Friday Focus and Helping Hearts, and he's an amazing resource for death and dying and grief. Um, End of life, there's lots of stuff out there. But if you're dealing with that and you need support, Immerman Angels is a wonderful, wonderful volunteer organization that has a staff. And he started the, the group because he went through cancer himself. And his family was there to support him, but he saw many people without support. And he started this after he was free and clear of cancer. It's an amazing, amazing support group. As David Kessler says, 100% of your family is going to die. We're going to have to face it at one point or another. 